Awesome. What a great time of worship. Hey, I want to make mention um, real quickly. I don't typically open up a message with an announcement, uh, but today I'm going to do that. Uh, don't, don't tell my preaching professor from 20 years ago, right? Not a good way to open a service. But in our first service, when we kind of came through our time of worship, that last song especially, you know, it helped me to remember how many folks in our church and really broader in our community are just really hurting right now. On Friday, our church sent out a newsletter that we do every Friday and uh, to all of your inboxes, hopefully. And hopefully you read that. That's there. Typically, most every one of those, I'll include a little blurb at the header, just a paragraph or so from me. And um, that's what I mentioned on Sunday, on, on this past Friday, was how many people are just hurting in our community. There have been uh, so many people that have lost loved ones. There have been so many people that are going through times of illness and times of loss and times of challenge in a broad variety of ways. Honestly, it is hard for one person to keep up with, right? There are so many. And I've been here almost 20 years, and I can't think of a time over these last two months that comes to mind where I have encountered so much hurt and so much sorrow and so much struggle in people's lives, many of whom are probably represented right here even in this room. And I, and I say that uh, for two reasons. One, that we need to be praying for each other. Man, we are a church. We are a family. We're, this isn't a place we come nearly as much as, as it is who we are. And uh, you know, we need to take that so seriously. And I'm not saying we don't. I'm just saying we can't afford not to. We've got to be lifting people up. And we've got to be even doing more than just praying, right? Being there for one another. And a lot of you are testimonies of how you've experienced that in your life, where you went through a stretch that was just hard, but you knew you weren't alone because people came alongside of you. And I just say that now is a time where we really really have to keep that in mind. Um, and then also the announcement part of it is really not so much of an announcement, but kind of a solution to that. You know, what, what is God's answer to the hurt in a community? What is God's answer to the sorrow and the loss and all those things that invade any community, including ours? I think the answer is not just a church like this hanging a sign outside that says, y'all come, right? Come at nine or come at 1030, but the rest of the time we're closed until Wednesday night. You know, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not that. That's not the only answer. That is an answer. And I hope you invite people to come because you know, you're going you're gonna to hear worship from God's Word and you're going to read, be able to hear messages from God's Word and be in Bible studies from God's Word. But the bigger answer really is not when we say y'all come, but when we go. <laughs> you know, when we are able to say to people, I'm here and, and I don't come alone, that I bring, you know, I, I bring my relationship with the Lord and I bring ears that listen and I bring a heart of compassion and I bring hands to serve and to help. That, that's that's why this is so important. And tonight we're doing an event called the Everyday Missionary Gathering. This isn't a promo for that event as much as it is just trying to cast that vision of why why you hear us talk about so much living on mission, living on mission, living on mission, and being a, mission, a missionary every day where God's put us. It's because that we live in a community that is lost, man. We live in an, in, an, in an area that needs Jesus. And some of the people who need Jesus are already believers that just need to be reminded of his promises through people like us. And so tonight, if you want to learn a little bit more about how to live on mission, we're going to be meeting at 5 in our Student Worship Center from 5 to 6.15 and uh, just talking about what that ministry looks like in our church. It's very atypical. Believe it or not, not a whole lot of churches have a mission, a ministry called <laughs> Everyday Missionary, even though we should be doing that. And uh, so we'll share with you what that's about. If you're already one of those, that you've actually been commissioned to live on mission here in our own community or where you live, then you come as well because we want to encourage you and we've got some stuff to give you and we'll show you how that unpacks in our church. And so, again, the reason is because that's God's response to people who hurt. It's for people who already know him 
to go to them. And so we want to share how you can do that tonight. So be praying for many here in our church family and in our community that are just going through times of struggle. Acts chapter 13, go ahead and turn there with me if you will. Here's the good news, the message is shorter today because I just spent five minutes talking about that specifically. So for those of you that, that uh, wanted a shorter message, you're going you're to get it in, an, in kind of a roundabout way. Acts chapter 13. So we're going to get to Acts 15 in just a moment. Acts 13 is where we're going to start. We're in the midst of the series called When People Disagree. Now here's the, here's the good thing about the series. It, it is incredibly applicable for every single one of us because we've all been in those places where we've been in the midst of disagreement. And what we've learned along the way, this is the third message in the series. My, my gut is next Sunday will be the last message uh, in the series. It was not really designed to be a lengthy series necessarily. We'll see where God leads, but I'm thinking one more message in the series. But we've learned a few things along the way. Uh, some truths that we need to apply anytime we're in the midst of disagreement. One of those truths, or two of those truths, we sort of call non-negotiables. I think we've got them on the screen here behind me, that anytime we find ourselves in a disagreement, we always need to keep in mind that truth is never to be compromised. When we talk about living uh, uh, or managing disagreement, it doesn't mean that we compromise truth just to get along. That's a, that's a fast road to <laughs> to uh, just absolute you know, just shipwreck in a lot of ways. So we don't ever compromise the truth of God. We never compromise the truth of God's Word. Never should truth be compromised. But the other rail that we run on is that relationships should always be prioritized. And there is a way to do both of those. We can still prioritize or, or uh, uh, treat truth without compromise while prioritizing a relationship with someone with whom we disagree. So those are the two tracks that we run on. Anytime we come through a time of disagreement, we, um, we want to keep those two truths in mind. The truth is not to be compromised. Relationships are always to be prioritized. So, so what do you do when you're in the midst of that disagreement with someone? And, and maybe it's the one you're married to. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's someone you're going to see this Thanksgiving, you know, when they come to your to your table from out of town, or you're going to travel to them. Maybe it's a coworker or a friend or, or, or just someone on social media. How do you handle disagreement in a way that, that, that guards truth, that prioritizes the relationship, and that honors God, especially whenever that disagreement leads to division? Because no matter how hard we try, there are still those moments, right? And many of us, sadly, have experienced them where no matter how hard we try to navigate disagreement, it still brings about division in that relationship. And maybe it's division with a family member. Maybe it's division with a with the person we're married to for a day or for a couple of days or for a week or even longer, right? Because sometimes that division springs up into bitterness or resentment. And some of you probably have felt the, the, the sting of having a relationship impacted negatively or maybe even lost because some disagreement spun out into division. It shouldn't equal division. Disagreement should never equal division, but there are times that it does. How do we manage that? That's what we're going to look at this morning. The good thing is the Bible gives us some really good insight as to how to do that. First, let me tell you a story about a couple of guys, one named Joe, the other named Pauly. Joe and Pauly were close friends, and uh, I'm not quite sure how long they had known each other, but it was later in their lives that they sort of especially connected and really began to spend a lot of time together. They had a lot in common. Both of them had relationships with Jesus. Both of them were believers. Both of them were strongly devoted to the call of God on their lives. Joe was one who was such a close follower of Christ. His life was so impacted. There was one point in his life where he had land that he owned that was rightly his, that he, he just flat donated it to, 
his religious community, you kind of say his church, I guess. I mean, donated it just for the sake of the mission, for the sake of the cause. I mean, fiercely devoted. But Joe was one of those guys that was kind of a don't rock the boat sort of people. He, he had that, that personality, got along with probably everybody, probably really kind, but, but just sort of a don't rock the boat. He was known for his encouragement, always encouraging to people. You know people like him, right? That's the way Joe was. Paulie, on the other hand, was just as devoted to Christ. He came to Jesus later in his life. He was an adult, actually. His life was radically saved, radically changed. But for Paulie, he was one of those guys. He, he maybe wasn't known as much for encouragement as Joe was, but man, oh man, he was known for just standing on truth. And, and if there was truth to stand on, Paulie was going to stand on it. And he might kind of rub you the wrong way as he did. And, uh, and when, he would, when he would stand on truth, he was willing to, to do it at great cost. And he did. He paid a lot of times for his stance on truth, the truth of God's word, right? Not just his opinion, the truth of God's word, and he paid for it dearly. Well, Joe and Paulie both had this common acquaintance that uh, they began to, to serve with, they began to do ministry with. But there was a point after things were going so well, there was a point where Joe and Paulie had a disagreement and it centered around this acquaintance. And they both had different perspectives. One felt one way and one felt the other. And the disagreement was so significant that Joe and Paulie ended up having division of such a nature that they both went two different directions in their lives from that point forward. It was a disagreement that led to division. And you've been there. You've probably felt that. And you've had those moments where you've thought, you know what, I should have handled that a little bit better. I should have handled that a little bit differently. But that, that story that I just told you is a story that comes right out of Scripture. It comes right out of Acts chapter 13 through chapter 15. Now, I've changed the names, not just to protect the innocent, really. I changed the names to trick you. I guess that was a bad thing for me to do. Paulie, you may have understood, is the Apostle Paul. Joe, you're thinking, who is Joe? I don't remember a Joe in Scripture that ever served with, with, uh, with Paul. Well, what we're talking about in Joe is actually Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. And you're thinking, well, that's a nice lie up there, Brooks. Thank you for lying to me. Well, Acts chapter 4, verse 36, it speaks of Barnabas, and it said he was also known as Joseph. So I'm being fair to the Scriptures, right? So he was known as Joseph. You know him more as Barnabas. And we've read there story. I've just dictated it really from Acts 13 through Acts 15. It was a disagreement that these two men would have ultimately over one set circumstance. And it was a disagreement that was so significant that it ultimately brought division between probably, arguably, the most uh, a recognizable figure outside of Jesus in the entire New Testament, that being Paul, and one of the closest companions that he had in ministry, Barnabas. And it led them literally in two different directions, disagreement that led to division. So let's jump in and let's begin to read the story. Here's the backdrop. When Paul came to Christ later in his life, he ultimately devoted himself to, uh, to ministry, to to being a missionary, uh, obviously, and he began to travel the world. Well, he would have three missionary journeys that we read of in Scripture. The first one, he would set out with Barnabas 
They were like a tag team, and they would travel out certain parts of the world, and as they would travel that region in the first missionary journey, they would begin to share the gospel, and they would plant churches along the way. They'd share the gospel, people would give their lives to Jesus, boom, a church would be planted, and then Paul would typically move on along with Barnabas to the next place. Some places he would stay, such as in Corinth for a year and a half, other cities he would not stay nearly as long. And so Paul and Barnabas head out, it's the first missionary journey. And what they decide to do is they're going to take a third person, uh, uh, the one I refer to as an acquaintance. His name would be John Mark. Sometimes we hear him referenced as John. Other times we see him referenced as Mark in Scripture. And so let's jump in and let's begin to see what happens here as as the story unfolds beginning in Acts chapter 13. Let's jump in in verse 2. This is the start of the first missionary journey with Paul Barnabas and John Mark. Acts 13, verse 2, it says, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, this being the church in Antioch, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, Saul being Paul here. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And then when they'd fasted and prayed and they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper, right? This is John Mark. So, you got Paul, you got Barnabas, you got John Mark. Jump down to verse 13. They are doing ministry, they are um, reaching people. Somewhere in the journey, things change. Verse 13, now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos. They came to Perga in Pamphylia, but John, this is John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. He left them, Mark did, and he returned to Jerusalem. You had Paul, Barnabas, John Mark, first missionary journey, reaching people, planting churches. Somewhere along the way, John Mark cuts loose, and he doesn't, the Bible doesn't tell us why. We're going to see in just a moment, Paul considered it abandonment. In fact, even Luke, who wrote the scripture, you know, the details, it would consider it abandonment. He cuts out, and he leaves them high and dry in the city where they were, and he departs. We can assume that he went back home again. This first missionary journey would continue, right? And what you find in Scripture later in Acts 13, as you move through the rest of his first missionary journey, Paul is going to see a lot of victory, but he's also going to see a lot of heartache along the way. One city in particular, a city called Lystra, he would be so opposed that they would take rocks, they would throw at him, they would stone him there, leaving him half dead after they drug him out of the city. This is Paul's experience later in the first missionary journey after John Mark, for all Paul knows, is grilling out in the backyard watching the ball game while he's just about to lose his life on the mission field that John Mark had abandoned. You move forward a little bit, we get to Acts chapter 15. That first missionary journey is over. Paul decides, hey, let's take a second missionary journey, and let's revisit the churches that we planted the first time around. Barnabas, are you in? Yeah, I'm in. Let's go back. This is going to be great. We're going to visit all the churches that we had planted. We're going to see how they're doing. We're going to check up on them. Second missionary journey. That's what they're going to call this in the Bible years from now. Barnabas says, I'm all in. Hey, Paul, give me a second. I'm going to run get John Mark, and we'll be ready to go. (laughs) And in the words of Lee Corso, college game day every Saturday morning, 
Paul would say, not so fast, my friend. It's Acts 15, verse 36, that we, that we pick up that story. It says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia, who had deserted them. That's how Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, describes it. Who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him. By the way, Barnabas and Mark were related. (laughs) We find that out elsewhere in Scripture. This is family here. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Now, the good that would come out of this was that you now have two missionary teams where there was one. All right, you got two traveling tag teams that go out two different parts of the world, so to speak. And, and that, that's part of the good that came out of it. The, the bad that came out of it was that for all we could tell, there was such a sharp disagreement that a relationship was fractured and to some degree may have even ended to a degree as a result of this particular disagreement. Paul and Barnabas are never mentioned together again in the Bible. Never again do you see them mentioned together specifically in Scripture. In fact, this is the last we hear of Barnabas in the book of Acts altogether. This was a sharp disagreement. The Greek language, they sort of have tweaked that Greek word that we translate as sharp disagreement. We've tweaked it in the English language to to the point that what it refers to back in the day was a violent explosion. This, This was not just a gentleman's disagreement where, hey, let's take Mark. No, I don't think we should. Uh, Okay, let's just, all right, we'll just go our different way. It wasn't that. This was a sharp disagreement. This was like an emotional explosion. This may not have been pretty to see how this all played out as it was all being worked out in the midst of this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. We asked the question, who was right? We don't know who was right. It doesn't even really matter who was right. It was two different opinions on one same circumstance. One said, show grace, let's bring him along. The other said, no, let's show wisdom. He abandoned us the first time. I almost died when I needed him. We're not taking him back a second time. Who knows who was right? Because we weren't there. It's not even the best question. The best question was, how was it managed? Because anytime we find ourselves in the midst of disagreement, the bigger question is typically not who's right. The bigger question is usually, how are we going to navigate this? How are we going to measure it? Or how are we going to manage it? So Paul and Barnabas go two different directions. And ultimately, God would give us the ability to read about this disagreement. This wasn't taken out of Scripture. We get to read that the greatest missionary that ever lived had such a disagreement with his traveling missions partner that things just fell apart. And in that, we can learn some lessons. Listen, you've probably been there before, right? I mean, when was the last time you were at that place where a disagreement in your life ultimately spun off into division? Maybe it was with your spouse. Maybe it was that day or two. It was kind of cold in the house. <laughs> you know, it's because you remember that last spat you had. All you knew was you were cooking spaghetti together and one person said one thing and next thing you know, the other person kind of shot back and boom, off it went down this road. You haven't talked in a couple days. Sharp disagreement led to division. You're not getting a divorce. There hadn't been a lot of unity for the last day or two. You ever been there? Maybe with your kids, maybe with a coworker. Maybe your boss says a little something to you, and yeah, they're in authority, he or she or whoever that boss is, and, and they're in authority, and, and, but they said something, kind of rubbed you the wrong way, and you kind of shot back a little bit, and they shot back at you, and now that disagreement 
has led to division. Maybe it was a friendship. Maybe it was on social media. Maybe it was an acquaintance. Maybe it was somebody you didn't really know, but you found yourself going toe-to-toe, arguing passionately to the point of where there's going to be division, and you don't even hardly know the person. I mean, how, how, do we, how do we deal with that? How do we manage that? Because there, there has to be a better way. Well, I think it helps when we do a little bit of an autopsy of the disagreement that leads to division in the first place. So let's, let's kind of break that down a little bit and see what the Bible says specifically about it. So, so why do disagreements in our lives so often lead to division? I, I think there are two reasons, and these are so simple, but I really want us to unpack them and process them a little bit. Reason number one, I think one reason that disagreements ultimately lead to division is because we're the ones who honestly are disagreeable and we have a bad attitude. We have a wrong attitude. Listen, there have been times in my life, and you're probably better at this than I am, but there have been times in my life where I've been so passionate about an opinion, right, or a perspective, not, not necessarily truth, just truth as I thought it was because it was my opinion and, and, and my, my perspective, where, where I've handled the disagreement so badly that I was the one who made it worse because I had a disagreeable attitude. I had a bad attitude, right? I know you've never been there. You've never done that. You've always just caught the blowback from the other person, right? But a lot of times we are the ones who bring the wrong attitude. We're the disagreeable person in the midst of the disagreement. We, we just have a, a wrong perspective, a wrong attitude. We mismanage it so poorly. Look at what it says in Psalm chapter, or Proverbs chapter 29. This, this is a, such a clear verse, as most all of Proverbs is. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11. Look, look at what it says here. It says, a fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man or a wise woman holds it back. In the New International Version, that verse is worded just a little bit differently. If you've got an NIV and you're reading it there and you're holding it in your lap and you're reading it, what you see there is a little bit of a different wording. It says, fools give full vent to their anger. That is a whole different word picture. Not the wise, but the fool gives full vent to his anger. Now, some of you later on today or maybe next weekend, you're going to get out in the backyard. You're going to get, not your grill, you're going to get your smoker. And you're going to get a brisket out there. And you're, going to, you're going to get that smoker going just right. If it's one of those that you have a, a little uh, control at the bottom, you're going to open up that vent all the way. You're going to let that brisket smoke for hours and hours and hours because there's a big game coming on later. And you're going to open that vent up. And what that vent does is it's going to let that oxygen in. And that oxygen is going to hit that flame and it's going to increase that heat, and it's going to do magical stuff on the inside, right? And you're going to sit down and eat, and you're going to gain four pounds just in that one meal alone. Why? Because it all tracks back. You open the vent, you let the oxygen in, and then everything heated up from that point. That's great when you're cooking brisket. It's horrible in a relationship. And what often happens is when we find ourselves in the midst of disagreement, it's not the other person, it's us. Let's just be honest. We're the disagreeable one. We're the one with the bad attitude. And it's like they say one thing that sets us off, and we crank the vent wide open, and we let the oxygen in, and we let that fire begin to boil, and we say things we would never typically say on an average day, but we'll let it out. Why? Because we're foolish at that point, and we're giving full vent to our anger and sometimes it's to our spouse and sometimes it's to our kids and sometimes it's to the parents and sometimes it's to a coworker, and sometimes it's to somebody we don't even know because they're sitting on the other side of a screen somewhere in social media world Proverbs says the one who does that is the fool 
2 Timothy chapter 2, look at what it says here. We've got that one on the, uh, on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is writing to Timothy, kind of his young son in the faith in a lot of ways. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and verse 25, he says, The Lord's bondservant, that would qualify all of us if we're followers of Jesus, the Lord's bondservant must, be, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient, when wronged, all right? You see the first part of that, verse 24 there, it says that we are not to be quarrelsome. That does not mean we don't disagree. Look what he says in verse 25. There's another part of that passage. Verse 25, he says, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. There's a goal to that. If perhaps God might grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of your opinion. No, not your opinion. Knowledge of the truth, right? Paul's not telling Timothy, hey, don't ever disagree. Don't ever compromise truth for the sake of unity. There are going to be times when you're going to disagree. Correcting is a form of disagreement, right? If you see something in my life and you come and, and, and correct me, what you're doing to me is you're telling me, Brooks, I disagree with, with whatever it is that you're doing or whatever it is that you said. I disagree with you and I need to correct you. Paul says to Timothy, there are going to be instances when you have to do that. I'm not telling you not to disagree. I'm not telling you not to correct those who are, who are wrong. He says in verse 24, but it's the way you do it. Don't have a wrong attitude. Don't be disagreeable. Don't be quarrelsome. Be kind. Be patient and do it the right way, right? Don't be the issue. Don't be the cause of division if disagreement ever goes there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is a, an interesting passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is writing now not to a person. Timothy is writing to a church, Corinth. And, and he's having to say much the same thing. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Paul is so clear here. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren, he says to the whole church, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. I mean, that could not be more clear. That you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. We already know Paul would die for standing on the truth. We know he's not saying, even if you have to compromise truth, just agree. And get he's not saying that. He's saying in general terms, the way life ordinarily operates, agree, don't have divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind, in the same judgment. Now, what were they arguing over? Verse 11 shares some insight. He says, for I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people. Remember, Paul's writing a letter, a real letter to a real church in real time, in real history. We don't know who Chloe was. They would have known. See, he says, I've heard from her that there are quarrels among you. Verse 12, now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. What, what is Paul talking about here? They're, they're arguing over who got baptized by who. That's what they're arguing about. We're about to see that in just a second, the next, next part of that passage. Paul planted the church in Corinth. He's writing to the Corinthians. Paul planted the church. Some of the people in that church are saying, you know what? I was, I was baptized by Paul. He's the one who planted this church. He's the one who started this. I was baptized by him. Others are saying, no. Remember, Paul wasn't pastor for, for, you know, he wasn't really the pastor necessarily. When he left the work, Apollos came in. Some were saying, well, I was baptized by Apollos. Others are saying, well, no, I was baptized by Cephas. That's a reference to, to Peter. 
And others were so spiritual, they're saying, well, I was just baptized by Jesus. It, it's almost comical. It'd be like people here, you know, out, out here saying, uh, well, let me just, how many of you have ever been baptized here in this church? Let me just see your hand real quick. All right, a lot of, a lot of folks baptized right here in this church. It'd be like you arguing with each other say, well, I was baptized, I was baptized by Adam. And it was, no, I was baptized by Brooks. I was baptized by Eric. Right? It's like, what are you talking about? I mean, what does that even matter? Right? That's not even the issue. Look at what Paul's response is here in verse, uh, same chapter, chapter 1, verse 14. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized any other. And here's what Paul gets to, verse 17. He says, for Christ didn't send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. What are we getting at? Why does this fit into a message about handling our disagreements and having bad attitude? The Corinthians were arguing over things that just really didn't matter. They weren't priority. Paul says, it doesn't matter who baptized you. Quit arguing over it. Quit having a bad attitude. Quit being disagreeable. Quit creating divisions over this. What matters is the gospel. And how it must have hurt their feelings when he said, truth be told, I don't even remember if I baptized you. I don't even have a clue who all I baptized. Because it wasn't about me baptizing people. It was about me sharing the gospel of Jesus. And he says to this whole church, quit being disagreeable. Quit creating divisions. You know, there's an old saying, control the controllables. Right? If you've ever played in sports, you've heard your coach tell you, you've got to control the controllables. You can only control certain things on the ball field. You can control your amount of effort. You can control your work ethic. You can control your attitude in the midst of adversity. There are only certain things you can control. And in the same way, in the midst of disagreement, there are only certain things you can control. You and I have to control the controllables. And a big part of that, avoiding disagreement that leads to division, a big part of the controllable is the attitude we bring to the table when somebody disagrees with us. Right? So when we do an autopsy on a disagreement that led to division, many times what we find is, is that we're the one who created it because our attitude was wrong and our attitude didn't line up. With scripture but there's a second way that disagreement leads to division and again this is so simple but it's when the other person is disagreeable with a wrong attitude that is out of your control you can only can control your attitude your response to disagreement you can't control the other person and there are some here i'd be willing to say probably You've experienced division in relationship, not because of your part, but because the other person is just not going to allow peace. You know, the Bible speaks to that. It speaks to that very clearly. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. I love this passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, if possible. It's almost an understanding there from God's perspective that not everybody's going to have peace. But if possible, so far as it depends on you, because you can control that controllable, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Romans 14, verse 19, two chapters later. He says, so then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. He didn't say, 
throw truth to the wayside for the sake of unity. He said, pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. You know, sometimes, let me just make this point here. You can disagree <laughs> if you want. It'd be a great message to disagree with me, I guess. Sometimes the best thing we can do with certain people in certain topics is just not go there. Right? Because sometimes there are people, they know our hot buttons to push. We know their buttons to push. And sometimes the best thing we can do because there's just no value in it, is just to not go there. There are some people you work with, you don't need to bring up certain topics because you know it's going to be game on, right? And there's going to be no value there. There are some friendships you have there are some relationships that are significant, some that are insignificant. You just don't need to go there. Why? Because it would not be pursuing the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. And I don't have this on the overhead. I highlighted it in my notes. I wrote in the margin, golden question. Okay, Maybe I realized this after it already turned in the stuff to be put on the, on the slides behind me. You might want to write this down, and I'm going to read it. Because I think it's so important for us to remember in the heat of the moment. If the possible reward, you need to ask yourself, we need to ask ourselves this question. Is the possible reward from this disagreement worth the possible cost of this disagreement? If I'm about to be pulled into a disagreement or I'm about to say something that I disagree with and it's not truth related, or maybe it is, but I have to, I have to do this little inventory is the reward that's going to come out of this worth the cost that's going to come out of this? Say you hear about someone, guys, let me talk to you all for just a second. I'll use this as an illustration. You hear of someone that you know who is physically abusing his wife, right? Use that as an, that's an let's just go extreme. And you know it, and you have a platform to speak into this person's life, and you go there, and you speak into this person's life, and you say, listen, brother, man, you, you, can't, you can't be doing this, and you do not need to do it again. And he said, well, you don't know what it's like living under my roof. You don't know she's always, yep, 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 up one side down. You just don't know what it's like. And if you lived under my roof, you'd see every now and then I got to put all that goofball stuff, right? What you have to evaluate is the reward of this disagreement that very possibly is going to lead to division going to be worth the cost of it? The cost is going to be, he's probably going to get mad at me, he's probably going to write me off, and he might take a swing at me. But the reward is, his wife won't be getting hit on anymore. Right? The reward is worth the cost. And that can be handled in a way that honors God, that stands on truth, that prioritizes both of those relationships, but just might lead to division. And you can lay your head down at night in peace. But when you push the button of masks and vaccines and what I think this team should have done on that play and yada yada and all this other goofball stuff again, right? 
and you know it's just pushing buttons and there's going to be disagreement, and that disagreement's probably going to go sideways, at the end of the day, you're going to ask, what was the reward? A broken friendship. <laughs> it wasn't worth the cost. And that scripture says, we got to pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Control the controllables. That's you. For me, that's myself. And when the other person is disagreeable because of their wrong attitude, you can still be at peace knowing that God will handle the details and that you've handled it the way that he wants you to. You know, Psalm 133.1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant for brothers to dwell together in unity. Disagreements should not divide, but when they do, may we not be the one who made it happen. You know what's interesting about that passage in Acts chapter 15? Again, we don't read Paul and Barnabas anymore together in Scripture. We don't hear Barnabas anymore in the book of Acts. But at the end of Paul's ministry, later as he's writing letters to churches, he does mention Barnabas. And when he mentions Barnabas, he mentions him in such favorable terms. They had such a sharp disagreement, but when Paul looks back and he writes about Barnabas later in the Bible, we don't see them together, and that may be for no bad reason at all, but we don't see them together, but when he speaks of him, he speaks of him highly. And even regarding John Mark, who abandoned him at the end of Paul's ministry in 2 Timothy, he's mentioning, bring Mark to me. Why? Because he is useful. You know, I don't know for you, maybe, where there might be disagreement in your life. I don't, I don't know where that disagreement has led to division. But I think some good questions to ask yourself would be, number one, are you at peace? If there is some disagreement that's led to division in your life with a family member, a former family member, a co-worker, a friend, or whoever, are you at peace with that? Is there a way to reconcile that relationship without compromising truth? And has your response on all of it honored God? You know, the greatest reconciliation of all is the reconciliation that God made with us through Jesus. And I think one of the reasons it speaks so much about unity here is because it honors Him. When we do our best in a way that honors Him to be in agreement with others, and in, in those instances where we just can't, we can still do that in a way that preserves the relationship, stands on truth, and honors Him. Let's pray. Lord, such a practical topic. And Lord, I thank you that in the midst of this, that you have given us such practical, applicable passages of Scripture. Lord, there are a lot of times that we're not thinking about the Bible when in the midst of a disagreement. It happens so quickly. Sometimes we make a benign statement. Somebody disagrees with us. We get all sideways and we take it personally or, or maybe sometimes it's something deeper lord where it's with someone we love deeply and yet we see things from such different perspectives that sometimes it can be difficult to navigate that disagreement in a way that honors you and that preserves the relationship lord i think you say so much in your word about these things because you know the damage that comes when disagreement brings division it's one of the greatest tools of the enemy. So many churches that have lost their effectiveness. So many churches that are planted on property just like this in a community with so much need and they have zero effectiveness because they can't get along on the inside. And the enemy just opens the vent and he adds more oxygen to the fire and pours fuel on the flame. And he knows, he knows, he knows that if we can just not get along, if he can just create seeds of discord and disunity, Lord, we're not gonna be able to reach anybody, including our own people. 
But Lord, how beautiful it is when we can see life sometimes from different perspectives. And even in the midst of that, sometimes we disagree, but we can still find a way to show that it's our relationship with you through Christ that matters most. And it's that common ground that brings unity. Lord, our testimony is at stake. Relationships are at stake. Ministry is at stake. Help us to navigate disagreement well. Knowing we can't always avoid it, but we can sure choose how to manage it. Lord, may you get glory in those times. Lord, for those who don't know Jesus, Lord, help them to understand that you, the Prince of Peace, what a great title for you, Jesus. The Prince of Peace came in the first place to reconcile when we were enemies with God, living life in total disagreement with you, Lord, and your truth. And Jesus, you came and you paid a high cost because you knew the reward was worth it. And you reconciled us to a relationship with God through forgiveness and grace. May our response in the midst of disagreement somehow reflect that. And we thank you for what you'll do through it. In Jesus' name.